Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Bad anxieties will lose their grip on us when we see that we're like Ruth, just in the middle, just in the middle, with a situation on one hand and then God on the other hand, and we're in the middle. So when Naomi told Ruth, sit still, she was saying to Ruth, Ruth, life has a plan. Life has a purpose, and it's meant to shape us. Don't forget about God. Don't forget about God who's called the potter in Isaiah 64.8, Isaiah 64.8. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay, and thou art potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. See, we're just wet clay on a wheel, and God is forming us and shaping us by the situation. So Naomi's saying, Stood still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. Sounds so uncertain when you say the matter will fall. How the matter will fall, you say fall, That's how it looks to me, all right, just as uncertain as something falling. But what looks to us as uncertain as falling is really as certain as God has already determined exactly where that matter is going to fall. It'll fall exactly where God has determined and decided it's going to fall. Now, in verse 18, when Naomi speaks to Ruth, we can just picture Naomi in a motherly fashion, pulling Ruth in close. Come on, Ruth, get close to me. Look at me. And and she's pulling Ruth in and she's saying, Ruth, my daughter, the man will not be in rest until he has finished this day. As Naomi does this, we can see Naomi looking right into the eyes of Ruth. And as she does this, we can see Naomi just really conveying a certain message to Ruth. I mean, it's not written here, but you, you get this really strong message because she's saying, Ruth, I know this man. I know this man. Ruth, I know Boaz. And for what I know about Boaz, I can tell you that he will not be in rest until he has finished this thing this day. You're going to know the outcome this day because I know Boaz. That's what she's saying. Now, that's quite a statement where Naomi was saying to Ruth that she knew Boaz. As a matter of fact, Naomi was really able to comfort Ruth and take away her anxiety because Naomi knew Boaz. I mean, you know, Ruth could have said to to Naomi, really, really, Naomi, do you really know Boaz that well that you can tell me that he's gonna finish this matter today? Do you really know Boaz that well, Naomi? And this is where Naomi could step right back in and say, yes, Ruth, I really do know Boaz, and I'm telling you that because I know him so well, I know he's gonna finish this matter this day. See, the more that Naomi did know about Boaz, the more that Naomi was able to comfort Ruth. 
Ruth was helped because Naomi's knowledge of Boaz. And Ruth received this help because Naomi, Naomi made the decision to tell Ruth about what she knew about Boaz. So Ruth's anxiety was taken away because Naomi knew Boaz, and Naomi decided to tell Ruth that what she knew about Boaz, that he was a man of decisive action, and it wasn't the sun wasn't going to go down before he had finished this. Now, all this is brought out to us in verse 18 when Naomi says, with absolute certainty, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. And this is really a picture of Naomi knowing Boaz and telling Ruth about Boaz that makes such a teaching picture for us. This is what helps us so much. Because this picture gets home to us when we see ourselves like Naomi and we see Boaz like the Lord Jesus Christ and we see Ruth like those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, consider Naomi as representing us. Just as Naomi knew Boaz, so we know the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we have this great strength, which is our knowledge of him. And that's the one way that we become stronger and stronger. That strength is described for us in Daniel 11.32. Daniel 11.32. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Those that are strong are those that do know their God. That's the true strength. It's the knowledge of our God. It's the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was actually in a state of his greatest weakness when he confessed that he didn't know God. When he said that at his conversion in Acts 9.3, Acts 9.3, where it says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So when Paul's on this road to Damascus and his great light focuses down on him and he hears this voice from heaven asking him why he was persecuting God, Paul says, who are you, Lord? Can you imagine that scene? I mean, this man, who at that time was known as Saul, was the great Jewish scholar schooled in the deep knowledge of Judaism at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel, carrying out the will of the great synagogue to stop these Christians, a person who could give you deep instruction in religious thought and the Bible. And this is the person who cries out, who are you, Lord? That was a confession of utter ignorance and weakness. And at that point, Paul was saying, I know everything about religion. I know nothing about God. And at that point, Saul was saying, I know everything about the Bible. I know nothing about God. At that point, Paul was saying, I have great prestige. I have reputation. I have honor among men, but I don't have eternal life. And that was all because Saul did not know the answer to the question, who is God? Who is God? And the simple truth that changed everything for Saul was the answer when Saul asked God who he was and he got the simple truth in Acts 9.5, Acts 9.5, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. God is Jesus. And when Paul learned that, he became strong. 
And as we learn more about Jesus, more about Jesus, Paul learned more about God, more about God. Paul became stronger and stronger and stronger. And there's one block. There's one block that stands in the way of every person who wants to know God. And that block is described in Jeremiah 31, 34. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, and they shall teach no man, every man his neighbor, every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. They shall know the Lord when he forgives their iniquity and remembers their sin no more. When any person, any person wants to know God and their sin has not been forgiven, has not been forgiven through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it results in a futile attempt in trying to know God that spirals down to religion without the knowledge of God. And it's knowing the Lord Jesus Christ that makes, that brings eternal life. As he said in John 17, 3, John 17, 3, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. First John 5, 20, first John 5, 20, we know him that is true, we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So Daniel says, in Daniel eleven thirty two, Daniel eleven thirty two, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And those that do know the Lord Jesus Christ shall be strong and do exploits. You know, a picture of knowing God and being strong and doing exploits comes from the history of Hanukkah. It comes from the history of Hanukkah because it's about 167 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem that there was this Jewish priest named Metatias. And he had five sons. He had five sons. One of them was Judas. One of them was Judas. And Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great died a very young man. And he died having no sons. So that was a problem. So they divided up his kingdom among three generals. And the one that ruled over Palestine, over Israel, was Antiochus. And Antiochus, he terrorized the Jewish people. And he wanted to stop the worship of God in the temple. So he ordered his soldiers to sacrifice a pig, offer a pig on the altar in the temple. And the five sons had agreed to come to the temple for the offering of the pig. And just before the pig was to be offered, they would kill all the soldiers. And so they came with daggers and swords, you know, under their robes. And so this one, Judas Maccabee, he was the leader. And so at the signal, Maccabee was not his name at that time, it was just Judas. And, and so at the signal, at the right time, Judas gave the signal, and the signal was a phrase. It was a phrase that he yelled out, and that was their signal to take their daggers out and kill the soldiers, which they did. So he gave the signal, Mi kamoka be'alim Yahweh, or they say Adonai. Mi kamoka be'alim Adonai, okay, which means who among the gods is like God? And that's where you get the Maccabee, because M, me, Kaboka, K, Be'alim, among gods, B, and then it's not, I don't know, it's Yahweh, so the Yud son, so M, K, B, Y. So that becomes Maccabee, and that's where Maccabee comes from. So when the pig was being offered, Judas said, Me, Kaboka, Be'alim, Be'alim, Yahweh. And who is among the gods? Who is like our God? And they all drew out their swords and their daggers, and they killed the soldiers, and then they only found enough oil for a single day, but it lasted for eight days, and so we have Hanukkah. But the Maccabees knew their God and were strong and did exploits. Our strength 
comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't go with daggers and swords and kill people. But anyway, our, but it's our strength. Just as it was Naomi's knowledge of Boaz, that when she told Ruth about Boaz, Ruth was helped. She was helped. So those around us who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, they need us to tell them. We need to be like Naomi and tell them because that's why people are destroyed. So Naomi tells Ruth what she knew about Boaz. And in so doing, Naomi is telling Ruth that her anxiety would be remedied. Ruth's anxiety would be remedied as Ruth took the gaze off of herself and focused her gaze on Boaz, on Boaz. And, and, and it's this advice that's good for us because we feel anxious like Ruth did. We need to take the gaze off of ourselves and to focus our gaze on our Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what takes it away. That's what takes bad anxiety away. So what, what was it about Boaz that Naomi was directing her to focus on? What was it that she wanted Ruth to focus on about Boaz? Well, when Naomi told Ruth in verse 18, the man will not be in rest until he has finished the matter, finished the thing this day, Naomi is telling Ruth that Boaz has a very important trait in his character. Very important trait. So first, when Naomi said, you know, that he's going to finish it this day, Naomi is telling Ruth, Boaz is not a man of procrastination. He's not a man of procrastination. Boaz, she's saying, listen, I got to tell you about Boaz. He's not a laid back. He's not a life as a beach man. He's not a hesitator. And this doesn't mean that Boaz was given to sudden impulse. But Boaz was the type of man that immediately moved when he knew that it was the right thing to do. He was a man of action and did not let other things get in the way of what he knew was his priority. See, the procrastinator, the procrastinator was described by the Lord Jesus Christ is the man who was like the ground that was infested with thorns, that when the word of God fell on it was choked in Mark 4.18, Mark 4.18. And these three types of thorns he calls the cares of this world, the thorns of the deceitfulness of riches, and the thorns of the lust of other things. And they come in and they cause procrastination from wholly following the Lord Jesus Christ. The thorns of procrastination are the cares of this world. That's a picture of Martha. That's a picture of Martha who had the Lord Jesus Christ in her house and all she could think about was just getting the house uh, prepared, ready. Just like me picking up these things here. All right. That's all she could think about. The house had to be cleaned. Oh, the meal, the food had to be gotten. And oh, the meals had to be cooked. And oh, the company has to be taken care of. And oh, and she's in a oh, whirlwind tizzy. And when she should have been sitting down at the feet of the Lord Jesus and learning from him, the Lord rebuked her for being choked by the thorns of these mundane responsibilities. And so therefore it says in Luke 10, 38, Luke 10, 38, now it came to pass as they went, he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received her into her house. In Luke 10, 40, Luke 10, 40. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, does that now care that my sister had left me alone to serve? But bid her therefore that she help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. And I was like, Martha, Martha, can you hear me, Martha? 
Thou art careful and troubled about many things. Now, Martha had received the Lord into her house. Martha was consumed with serving, and she had no time for worship. She was choked with the thorns of the cares of this life. Now, a procrastinator is also an excuse maker. Take it from me. I have a lot of experience in this. <laughs> like the excuse makers, excuse makers that the Lord Jesus spoke of with the ultimate bad, really terrible, fatal excuses when we read about in Luke fourteen seventeen. Luke fourteen seventeen, And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of land. I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So a procrastinator comes up with one excuse after another to avoid tackling a problem. Okay, look, I just bought a piece of property. I gotta go see it, right? That's normal. I gotta go see it. I gotta go look it over. Okay, I just bought five oxen. I got to go try them out, right? Oh, okay, I just got married. I got to spend time with my wife. That was not Boaz. Then there is a procrastinator who's choked by the deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of riches. This is a person who says, you know, I want to go on the mission field, but I need to build up a nest egg first, something to fall back on. What if the, the what if uh, option? Or the person who says, all I need to do in life is just to get myself financially stable, financially independent, financially set. Then I'll take time for God. And King Solomon said, King Solomon, who was the richest man, but he said in Proverbs 25, 23, 5, Proverbs 23, 5, wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? Riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. See, the Lord gave the picture of the person who was deceived by riches in Luke 12, 16. Luke 12, 16. He spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, ha, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room to where to bestow my goods. And he said, that's what I do. I'll pull down my barns, build greater. There will I bestow all my goods and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There was nothing wrong that he had all those things. It was just he was laying it up for himself, living for himself and not for God. And then there's a procrastinator who's choked with the, the thorns of the lust of other things, other things, the lust of other things. Well, what are those other things? Well, there's among many, there's some of them are listed for us in 1 Peter 4.2, 1 Peter 4.2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past may suffice us to have wrought the will of the John Charles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riots, speaking evil of you. This is the goal of living life to the extent of what feels good, what feels good. This leads to alcoholism, this leads to drug addiction. Columbia University just recently published an article which they said one in eight people, 
one in eight people in the U.S. is addicted to either alcohol or drugs or nicotine. And that one in four, one in four in the U.S. are on the brink of or at the risk of being addicted. That's part of the choking thorns of the lust of other things. Now, when Naomi told Ruth in verse 18 that Boaz was the man who will not be in rest until he finished this thing today, what she's really telling Ruth is that Boaz is not going to be a procrastinator. He is not going to procrastinate for all those things we mentioned. He's also not going to procrastinate due to difficulties. Difficulties. You know, there were difficulties, like the difficulty of, oh, there's this other man who has the right of first refusal. Oh, there's this land involved. Oh, I've got to come up with a strategy to persuade the other redeemer to not marry Ruth. Those are difficulties. He didn't, pro- he didn't focus on those difficulties, so he didn't procrastinate. And he was not a man who procrastinated because of fear, because of fear. Fears have a way of growing out of control to the point of being irrational. And that's described in Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen, where it says, the slothful man saith, there's a lion without, I shall be slain in the streets. I'm absolutely sure, right outside that door, there's a lion, I'm not going near that door. Boaz might have been afraid because it's other redeemer, but he was not. And another person who was like Boaz and was a man of immediate action and was not afraid and was not a procrastinator, that's Caleb. Caleb, who stood in the middle of all the other spies who were specializing in procrastination. And they were, all they could talk about was, oh, the difficulties, of, oh, the land, oh, no. The people in the land, they're like giants. Oh, we're like grasshoppers. And they were going on and on. And Caleb stands right up in the middle of them in Numbers 13.27, Numbers 13.27. And they told him and said, we came into the land whither thou sentest us and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, here comes the procrastination, here comes the fear. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled, the very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell on the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea, by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the people went up with them and said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we. Caleb was a man of action, and when he stilled the people by saying, let us go up at once, that showed that he was a man of action. He was not a procrastinator. It was These were the qualities in Boaz that Naomi was pointing out to Ruth to focus on, to cure her of her unholy anxiety. And in the same way, we find ourselves with our feet in the snare. And like Ruth, we have a choice. Either we're going to look at our feet, say, oh, how did I get here? What am I going to do now? And the dilemma that we're in, or we're going to follow Naomi's advice and look at our Redeemer. Look at our Boaz. This is what King David said to do in Psalm 25, 15. Psalm 25, 15. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord. He shall pluck my feet out of the net. You know what he's saying there? He's saying he was in a net. He was caught. David knew his feet were already in the net. And he doesn't say, well, I'm going to concentrate on getting my feet out of this net. But instead, David said that he's going to turn his eyes toward the Lord and rely on God. And God's going to take me out of my feet out of this net. It's not easy to do this. 
That's why I say it's an active thing, casting all your care on him. It's active, sitting still. It's not easy for us to not focus on our problems, especially when our feet are in a net. It's not easy for us to turn our eyes upon Jesus, but that's what David said to do. That's what he said to do. Their strength is to sit still. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for that there was a Naomi. Thank you so much there was a Ruth, there was a Boaz. Help us, Lord, to learn from them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Christmas Under the Stars is back at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Christmas Under the Stars is a free family Christmas program on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Enjoy a live nativity, Christmas carolers, cookie decorating, ornament design, games, rides, petting zoos, and a dinosaur garden of lights. Family Christmas photos, holiday fair food, and astronomer star viewing and presentation by astronomer Spike Saras. And a Christmas message by Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Free Creation Museum admission on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. For more information about Christmas Under the Stars and Dinosaurs at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit the Creation Museum online at creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.